standing. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Let me read one verse, and then Isaiah chapter 9. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Notice verse 6. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I want you to notice two words. Wonderful Counselor. And today I want to speak to you from this verse, what it literally implies is an extraordinary strategist. So I want to preach to you about a God that strategizes for your life. The Lord bless you. you may be seated. This is the time of year that we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Was Jesus born on December 25th? Probably not very likely. But it is the day that we have chose to celebrate his birth. It's not the day that's important. It's the birth that's important. The Old Testament had prophesied on numerous occasions about this birth. As the prophecies came, they became more specific with time. And as Isaiah begins his ministry, Isaiah, he is a prophet during the time of Hezekiah. When Hezekiah becomes king of Israel, Israel had wandered into incredible idolatry. Israel had become so corrupt that when Hezekiah became king as a very young man in his 20s, and he becomes king of Israel, his desire was that Israel would return to the worship of God. And so they began the process of, of first of all, sanctifying the priesthood. And there are 14 days of sanctification that Hezekiah required for the priesthood to go through so that they would be clean again. Then they started the process of simply cleaning out the temple. It took them seven days just to empty the rubbish that had accumulated in the outer court. 
It took another seven days just so they could get into the temple itself. The temple had become the garbage dump of the city, or maybe it was the storage bin where everybody took things they didn't want. They didn't throw them away. They just stored them there, but it began to be cluttered with all kinds of trash. And so as a result, Hezekiah's desire was to get Israel back to worshiping God. And as he turns them to God, this prophet emerges whose name is Isaiah. And Isaiah, in his prophecies, began to reveal that there would be a child born whose name would be Emmanuel, which is interpreted God with us. This child would come. And as he continued with the prophecies, the prophecy then comes that he will be a child born and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We could spend days or weeks just talking about these titles that were given to him because he has fulfilled every one of them, not just one, but every one of them. Statisticians have taken the prophecies of the Old Testament and tried to figure out the odds of them coming to pass and what the odds would be that if just one person fulfilled 10 of those prophecies that had been prophesied in the Old Testament, the odds of that happening would be like covering the state of Texas with quarters at least two foot deep and putting one painted gold in the middle and mixing them up and then taking someone and turning them loose and letting them find it the first time they pick up a quarter. It's almost an impossibility. Even science says for one person to be able to fulfill these prophecies would almost be an impossibility. But he didn't fulfill one. He fulfilled all of them. Because the prophecy was that there would be a child born. If he was born on December the 25th, then today would be about the fourth day of his life on earth or the fifth day of his life on earth. There was this child that came into the world. In the beginning, he was dependent upon parents to raise him. He needed a mother to nurture him, to feed him, to clothe him, to bathe him, to take care of him. But by 12 years of age, he knew his purpose. And his purpose was that he must be about his father's business. Every aspect of his life was focused on doing what the will of God was. And as his body grew and he grew into adulthood, he could have probably started his ministry at a much younger age, but it wasn't the right time. But at the right time, he steps into his ministry and begins to challenge a group of people that really didn't even believe he was coming. Alexander the Great, when he conquered Israel, made it his purpose that he could not change their religion, 
but he might be able to change their philosophy. So he spent years trying and teaching them to think like Greeks instead of Hebrews. So by the time Jesus comes, there is really nobody looking for his coming. There's only two people recorded in the scripture, an old man and an old woman that were actually looking for the coming of the Lord. And God had promised them they would not see death until this Messiah came. And when they saw him, they both declared that he is here and that their lives could now be over because they had this promise. Jesus came. He taught 12 men for three plus years, maybe three and a half. We don't have an exact number. Trying to define these things is almost impossible. If you take all the all of the events in the Gospels and put them all together, you might have 28 days out of the life of Jesus recorded. So if he preached for three years, 365 days a year, you've got well over a 1,000 days that he preached or maybe 1,400 days he preached. We don't know the exact number, but out of those numbers of days that he was on the earth preaching, we have recorded less than 20 eight days of his life, but yet he still fulfilled every prophecy. And he collected 12 men trying to help them understand that your concept of what I am to be is not quite correct. You think that I'm going to go to to Jerusalem and I'm going to take over David's throne, and I will become king of the Jews. That's what you think, but that's not my purpose for coming. My reason for coming is the only way that humanity will ever have the ability to come into my presence without killing animals on a regular basis is for there to be a sacrifice. And when that sacrifice is given, it will remove the need for animal sacrifices forever. And that sacrifice is going to be me taking my body to a cross that I can shed my blood for the sin of the world so that you can be free from sin. Those 12 men didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. He goes through three and a half years of miracle after miracle. They were terrified on regular occasions by seeing Jesus do things. They have been on the seashore, and he puts them in a boat and sends them to the other part of the sea, and a storm comes up. In the middle of a storm, here comes Jesus walking on the water. They were terrified. The Scripture declares or defines that they thought they were seeing a ghost, and they were terrified at what they were seeing. And on a regular basis, they experienced incredible terror because how can one man do these things? They saw dead raised to life. They saw blinded eyes open. They saw the the lame walk. They saw those who were sick and of disease to be healed of their diseases. There are so many, they're not even recorded. It just said they brought all that were sick and he healed them. Not one, not two. Everybody that was sick there were healed as a result of his ministry. They saw these things. They witnessed these things. They, 
they saw Lazarus come out of a grave. They were there the day Jesus spoke. It hadn't been but just a few weeks before this event that, that Jesus had called Lazarus out of the grave. And here they are in an upper room, and Jesus is preparing for the ultimate sacrifice. And he's forcing them to remember why a blood covering was important. They had lost the importance of a blood covering. Actually, if you go read history and you, you, you start looking at all the details correctly, from the time Israel was taken captive by the Babylonians somewhere around 600 A.D. and taken into slavery in Babylon and kept there for seven years. When they came back out of Babylon, there is no record of a day of atonement from that day till Jesus. In the New Testament, the day of atonement is never mentioned. The reason, they had no mercy seat. They had no place to take blood and sprinkle on a mercy seat because when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, they destroyed the Ark of the Covenant according to the Jewish historians. Josephus Edersheim both declare that that ark was totally destroyed when they rebuilt the temple. They put a stone behind the veil that was called the foundation stone that represented where God used to dwell. It was making a statement that we have no power. We're not what we used to be. We, we just have to remember there used to be something here that was important to us, and this is where God used to dwell, but he doesn't dwell here anymore. So when Jesus died on the cross and he rent that veil in twain in that temple from top to bottom, it wasn't to take his blood to the mercy seat in Jerusalem. There was nothing there. It was to expose the hypocrisy of what they were trying to defend. You don't have anything to offer man, but he took his blood to the tabernacle of heaven and his blood was offered on the mercy seat that the one on earth is a type of. And as a result, you and I have a blood covering today. We don't have to bring a lamb every time we come to church because I can guarantee you that if we came to church every Sunday and we had to bring a sin offering, we'd have as many lambs here as there are people in this congregation and it'd take everybody who was trying to officiate most of the day to offer the sacrifice. We don't have to have that anymore. They were terrified when he brought Lazarus out of the grave. They were terrified when he steps on shore the gathering and out of the darkness comes this screaming lunatic and throws himself at Jesus' feet and begins. They were terrified on a they were terrified when Jesus stepped in the bow of the boat and, and the winds were howling and the waves were breaking over and the boat was sinking. And he said to the wind, shut up. And the wind quit blowing. And the waves settled down. And they were terrified and said, what manner of man has the power to control? Well, what kind of man can say, Lazarus, come out of that grave and he shows up? Why were they amazed that he could control the wind when he had brought the widow of Nain's son back to life? when he had healed the blinded eyes of men 
the man who had no eyes in his eyes and, and made balls of spit and put mud there. And when he washed, he had new eyes that he had never had in his life. Now we find John chapter 14. Jesus is at Last Supper. He has revealed his death. By tomorrow, I will have been crucified. They're terrified again. So he begins in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. The literal translation says, let not your heart be utterly terrified. You believe in God, believe also me. Now he's not talking to a crowd of strangers. He's talking to 11 men. One's already gone. There's only 11 in this room. And those 11 men are now terrified. They got here trying to figure out who gets to sit on the right hand, who gets to sit on the left hand. And they enter this feast arguing about position and who's going to do this and who's going to. And Jesus puts John, the youngest disciple, on one side of him, and he puts Judas, the betrayer, on the other side. So he gives the seat of the honored guest to the betrayer and the second highest seat of honor he gives to the youngest of them. He had already told them, if you can't become like a child, you're not going to be anything in my kingdom. So you want to know who's going to be great? It starts by you humbling yourself and, and, and forgetting about position and, and, and what I want to do and, and I need some post in life and forgetting about any kind of accolades I might receive and, and, and humbling yourself so that he can become what he has declared to us he would be. Isaiah prophesied that his name would be Wonderful Counselor. Now what's interesting is we take the word wonderful and make an adjective out of it. It's a descriptive word to us. He is a wonderful person. That's, that's how you describe him. But the Hebrew word is a noun. It is not an adjective. This is not about what he has or what he looks like or, 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 or how you used to describe him. It is a definition of who he is. This is his nature. His nature is he is a wonder. He is wonderful. He is a wonder when, when, when you ever get in contact with him and you connect to him, you're going to discover that, that he's more than wonderful. He is not, that's not how you describe him. What he is, is he is a wonder. And when you understand the wonder of who he is, it gives you an ability to enjoy things you haven't enjoyed in your life. It'll give you the ability to experience things you've never experienced in your life. When you understand that he is the wonder of life, that, that, 
that his name or his description is not he is wonderful. He is a wonder to behold. Why is he a wonder to behold? Because there's none like him. He, he, is, he is one of a kind. He is unique. He is loving. He is compassionate. He is gentle. His tender mercies endure from generation to generation. His loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting. His name, he shall be called Wonder, Wonderful Counselor. In this list, there are two things that are connected. So these two must also be connected. In the list, it says, Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace, two things are connected. Everlasting Father, two things are connected. The Mighty God, everything is connected. So the first two had to be connected too. It's not two distinct things. He is the wonder. Now the word counselor is a verb. So it's his action. It's what he does. He is a wonder at comforting people. So Jesus is in this upper room with 12 men. They're terrified. He's going to die tomorrow. This is not what we were looking for. We're, we're supposed to have a new kingdom and, and it's going to be powerful and, and it'll, it'll rival Rome. It'll conquer Rome. We will control the world. And he says, no, that's not why I came. It was never my intention. That's where you misinterpreted what the prophecy said. I came to redeem man. I came to save my most valuable creation. The world is not his most valuable creation. Earth is not his most valuable creation. But the man that lives on the earth, that is his most valuable creation because it's the only part of his creation that he placed part of himself in. And what he placed in that man was the image of the God that created him. I am made in his image. I have the ability to act like him if I want to. I have the ability to become like him. What is his nature? Well, first of all, he's love. Then he's joy. Then he's peace. Then he's gentleness. Then he's meekness. Then he's kindness. Then he's temperance. Then he's faith. Those are the characteristics that every one of us have the ability to express and to, to make part of our life if we choose to because that's the image of God that lives inside of every one of us. I have the ability. You have the ability to bring love into the world you live in. If you choose, now you can choose to wreck life, destroy life, destroy people, hurt people. You can choose to be anything you want to, but you can choose to be like him if you choose. And you can choose, you can choose to have joy in your life, not try to find it, 
or discover it, but make it a purpose that I am going to have joy in my life. My life will not be controlled by my circumstances. It won't be controlled by my environment. I'm going to choose to discover that this is the day the Lord hath made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. It doesn't matter what circumstances are saying or doing. He is the wonder at counseling. Jesus says to those 11 men in my father's house are many mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, we, we're not even sure where you're going because we thought we're going to Jerusalem. Where are you going? We don't have a clue. We don't know. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father. From henceforth you shall know him and have seen him. Philip said, Father, show, Jesus, show us. Lord, show us the Father and, and, and we'll be happy or content. Jesus said, have I been so long time with you that you don't know me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Thou says that thou then that showest the Father. Believe thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Now he's beginning to give them a revelation they've never understood before. He's saying, don't you understand that the God that created me is in me? And that God that created me, that God that overshadowed a virgin and produced this body I am choosing to live in, that the God that is in me, that's the Father. And that's what you're about to experience. Now, it's going to be real difficult for you to understand this. But there's going to come an event that's going to happen in your life. And when that event takes place, it will remove all doubt. And then you'll understand. What was that event? Well, after I die, about 50 days in the future, there will come a day that you'll all be together and the Holy Ghost will come upon you. And the day it happens, you'll understand what I'm trying to say to you today. Up to this point, your mind is warped by your traditions and by what you've been taught as children and you have no way of understanding, but I will let something happen to you that once it happens, nobody can ever tell you it can't happen because I'm going to give you some evidence that will hold up in a court of law that nobody can argue again. Nobody can declare, well, you can't have that or you can't experience that because once you experience it, you'll know that you have encountered God. Now, as the Father is in me, I'm going to be in you. I don't leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I am going to come again. And when I return in my glorified state, 
I will have an ability to become part of every one of your lives that I don't have. Right now, you just have to experience me as a person because I, you see me, but once I can die and be raised from the dead, I will have an ability then to become part of your life and you'll understand what I'm telling you as the Father is in me. I'm going to be in you. And they still are confused. But at the day of Pentecost, they all got a clear vision. How? When they began to speak with tongues. That was the evidence. As they began to speak in his language. According to Andrew Newberg, when you speak in tongues, the language center of your brain is not working. The part of your brain that controls your tongue and vocal cords is not active when you speak in tongues. He's got images of a brain to prove it. It's not a supposition, not a speculation. They have images to prove that as you are speaking in tongues, the part of your brain that controls your tongue and vocal cords that causes words to come out of your mouth is not active. But the part of your brain that is active is your sensory perception. It's like every nerve on your skin is being stroked all at the same time. It's God just wraps himself around you. And from the bottom of your feet to the top of your head, you are embraced and touched by the power of God as God begins to infill you with his spirit. And as, as God speaks through you, I will send the comforter and the comforter. It is the wonder of counseling. The greatest strategist of life is the Holy Ghost. I'm going to give you something that once you receive it, you won't ever have to worry about how to get out of anything. If you'd ever just learn how to use what you got, when you'd turn to the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will start strategizing your life. Say, okay, this is the direction you need to go. If you'll take this path, this is going to take place. And as you let the Holy Ghost lead you, it'll never lead you to the wrong place. His name shall be called Wonderful. The wonder of a counselor. The wonder. Why? Because he's been there in all kinds of places. You'll discover he'll be there in pain. He'll be there in disappointment. He'll be there in chaos. He'll be there when you think no one else is there. But he's never abandoned us. Because he said, lo, I am with you. Always, even to end the world. See, God doesn't keep you from doing dumb things. And the odds are incredibly high that all the dumb things you've done that's caused you a lot of problems, you blame on a devil or somebody else. But the fact is, you did them. Nobody forced you. Nobody made you. You chose to do it. So you got to take them. So God don't keep you from doing dumb things. Those are your choices. But he did say, no matter how dumb you get, he'd still be the wonder that helped you get out of your really dumb crisis. 
First thing you got to do is take ownership. This crisis is here because I produced it. If you take ownership, you can get out of it instantly. Because God always has a remedy for failure. Do a righteous man fall? He shall arise. Though he sit in darkness, the Lord shall be my light. Though I, it doesn't matter how dark it is, God just turns the light on. Though I sit in darkness, he's going to be the light of my life. Why? Because he's going to be a wonder you won't ever be able to explain. You ever ask anybody what the Holy Ghost feels like? You ever, you ever done that? You ever heard the, converse, the, the, the statements people make after they receive the Holy Ghost? You ever talk to somebody who's been baptized in Jesus' name and ask them what it felt like when they come up out of that water having the name called on them? Not titles, the name, the one and only name. When you, you say, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. What does that feel like when you come up out of that water? You feel like the same person you were when you went in? No. Everybody that comes up out of that water is, wow, it's like a load's lifting. Yeah, because he took a scalpel and cut off all the sin in your life, and that stayed in the water. So the load of guilt and shame you brought remains in the water. And the wonder of this counselor, even when his kids mess up, he doesn't throw them away. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come to the present. Repent. These are people that already got the Holy Ghost. Repent you therefore and be converted. Why? Because the wonder says that if you do mess up, my kids are more important than their mistakes. So I don't judge my kids by their mistakes. I will judge them by the distance between their mistakes. So if they can get mistakes pushed further and further apart, they're having a really good life. So you, you, you base your life on momentary failures. And when things happen where you make a mistake, you let a mistake become the controlling point of your life. And you can't see anything past your mistake. But he said, I got a remedy for it. If you got a sponge, I got blood. And all you got to do is say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. And he says, All right, here's my blood. Go to that. You had to sign that confession, you had to state, I did it. But now you get to erase the record so there's absolutely no proof that you ever did anything wrong in your life. That is the wonder of who he is. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. The, who is this? It's the child that was born. It's the child that a virgin will conceive. And his name is Jesus and that's who we worship today. That's who we've sang about today. And he is a wonder today. But he is not just a wonder. He is a wonder at counseling. 
He is my legal defense. He is my expert witness. He is the one called in to give comfort in difficult circumstances. He's the one who's called to the battlefront to let the soldiers know you can conquer this enemy. He is not too big. You can't overcome it. You can do this. I've given you the power and the authority and the ability. You can become anything you choose. Why wouldn't you want the greatest gift God has ever prepared for man? And that gift is him coming to live in your life. Why wouldn't you want it? Well, he's not going to make you take it. But if you want it, it's for whosoever will. Anybody can have it. Anybody. little boy who was autistic had a real hard time communicating received the Holy Ghost he's 12 and when he broke out speaking in tongues he'd speak in tongues for a moment and then he'd stop and he'd say wow and he'd start speaking in tongues again then stop wow and he'd start speaking in tongues again he'd stop wow that went on for over an hour why? Because he's a wonder. Don't matter the condition of life or what life may have handicapped you with. He's the wonder that has the ability to change your life. But you've got to recognize you need change. And if you want the wonder in your life, he'll be there. He'll become your strategist. He'll, he'll give you answers. He'll show you. He'll, he'll equip you with ways to find out how to get out of things in your life. You've got to take ownership of bad decisions. But if you do, my little children, sin not. But if any man sins, we have an advocate with Father. Preachers used to terrify me as a kid. My brain works in black and white. Yours may see all the other stuff, mine don't. It's just the way it works. And I hear preachers say, Brother Eldon can verify this. We sit on the same church pew as kids. I'd hear preachers make statements as, there's no such thing as a sinning Christian. And that terrified me. Because I'm a heathen. <laughs> there wasn't very many days in my life that I wasn't doing something I wasn't supposed to do. There's no such thing. But then it always had an addendum to it. But everybody makes mistakes. So they convinced me that the difference between sin and mistake is a monumental. God don't mind your mistakes, but your sins? Ooh, that's a problem. Then I went to Bible college to learn the Greek language discovered that sin. I'm just, I missed the target. There's a target on the wall. I put my arrow and my bow, I pulled it back. I didn't hit it. It's on the wall, but it's not on the target. I, I missed what I was shooting at. Everything's a sin issue. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. Let me tell you what's sin. Knowing to say kind things to your wife or your husband and not doing it. Hello? He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. In the heat of an argument, say things you, you, you really, well, that's, 
It's like people can take the Holy Ghost out. They can cuss one. I, don't, I just don't understand all that stuff. So you're not going to be perfect. And the wonder at counseling will let you know you're a project in the working. The only day the project gets finished is the day you give up the ghost. From the cradle to the grave, you're going to work on that project. And it's a project every day of your life. And let me give you a little word of advice. The older you get, the harder that work is. And the more often you're going to work at it. Now, you're not going to get better with age. You're going to get worse. So just take, take you, better get, you better get it right now and not wait till the future. Because your, your, your fuse gets sharp. Your filter disappears. You think it, you say it. You don't care what kind of effect it takes place. If it blows up in the room and wrecks everybody's life, you got, I got it right. I'm old enough to say what I want to say. And so we, yeah, you are, but don't mean it's a good thing. But the wonder never uses those words. I'm thankful for an incredible dad because he taught me. He taught all of us, Mark, Charles, Margaret, my older brother, Teddy. He taught every one of us. He never said, I told you so, or if you listen to me, this would have happened. He never said, I knew you'd do this. He never said, can't you ever get anything right? Oh, he would say on a regular basis, well, son, what life teach you today? He never rubbed my, rubbed my nose in my failures. So I don't ever see God as doing that. But some of you have been raised by parents that rubbed your nose in every failure you've made, and that's the way you view God. And the wonder at counseling is trying to help you understand, don't, don't, don't look at me like you look at your dad because I'm greater than any dad you ever had, and I'm not like him. I'm not going to mess your life up. I'm not going to wreck your life. I'm not going to destroy you. I want you to have the best life possible. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you today for your incredible presence we have felt today. What an honor and privilege it is to be able to come into your house. Because every time we come, we know we're not going to be met with some kind of confrontation. That you're not going to be standing at the door waiting to to scream at us or holler at us because we messed up. You stand with open arms inviting us to come, knowing that we have failed, but you never allow our failures to dictate the way you treat us. So you create an incredible atmosphere where I can walk in your presence and I can lift up my hands and your gentle spirit will remind me of my failure. And, and it won't condemn me. It will stand patiently as I repent and then offer me the blood so that it can cover the sin I have committed. Thank you for this incredible gift you gave us. Thank you for coming to our world, not to become king of a nation, but to become the father of a life. 
You don't want to be the king of our life. You want to be the dad that we come to on a regular basis. You want to be the father that we approach daily and that we're not afraid to come into his house. You, you're not distant from us or foreign to us. You, you want us to know that you're always there. Though we fall seven times, we shall arrive. No matter what kind of failures we've made, no matter our shortcoming, if I can ever just repent, take ownership, your incredible presence will start cleansing my life. Lord, if there's someone here today, I know the last month's been a, a whole month filled with lots of guilt and shame because it always is. We're over that celebration, Jesus, I pray today. And there's a soul here today that's struggling with guilt and shame. I pray today that really come to the cross today because they'll never find guilt and shame at the cross. They'll find revelation in a future at the cross, but they're never going to find guilt and shame at the cross. They're to discover who they are and where they can go, not where they've been or what's going on in their life. They're going to discover their future, not their past. Thank you for this incredible place today. And if there's a heart there today needs your touch, would you let them feel your presence right now? Would you comfort them? You are the wonder at taking care of situations we don't understand. You are the wonder of addressing issues we have no ability to address. You are the wonder that steps in our lives and brings peace because...